Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. How's it going, everybody? Hey, hey, yo, yo. What's good, everyone? So for today's episode, we're going to do something a little different. Me and Drew both recently read a biography about Stan Lee. It's a book that left quite an impact on both of us, and we felt that, you know, Stan Lee being such a prominent figure in comics, this was an important book to discuss, and this was a book that we felt like we'd have a lot of thoughts and uh, commentary to make on. We're gonna we're gonna go ahead and discuss this book today. Uh, Drew, do you mind introducing the book to us? Not at all. The biography that we're gonna discuss is True Believer: The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee by Abraham Riesman. This book was originally released in hardcover back in February of 2021, so it's a little over a year old. However, the paperback edition recently came out, I believe, last month, so it feels like an opportune time to discuss it. The book is published by Crown, an imprint of Random House. Albert, you said that we read it recently, but to be honest, you read it recently, and I actually <laughs> read it last year when it came out. I I didn't reread the entire book in preparation for this. I flipped through it and kind of skimmed some stuff, and I I did reread one of the later chapters just because it was it was interesting to me. Mm. I was gonna say in in the name of true transparency, if I had to be honest, honest, honest. Uh, I didn't even read it. I listened to the audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody read it to you. <laughs> I guess that, that counts, right? Who narrated the uh, audio version? I I don't remember. That's you know what? I'll put that up at some point on on the Instagram maybe, but uh I I don't I, I feel bad now because that that person who read the book, uh at least for me, was you know, he's he's as much a part of the experience as the guy that wrote it at this point. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I owe him some credit, which is yeah. interest, which is an interesting thing to bring up, seeing as how we're discussing Stanley <laughs> and mm-hmm. what the book has to say. Yeah, totally. A little bit about the book. It's a pretty complete and comprehensive biography about Stanley, because I think before this point, most of the other books about Stanley covered certain sections of his life. Yeah. So most of the time, it would they would be about, you know, his accomplishments at Marvel Comics, which is what he's most known for, for obvious reasons. But the rise and fall of Stanley was the first. I think it was the first biography that came out after Stanley died. This book. Is comprehensive because it covers the story of his parents before he was born and it goes all the way to his death so you get a pretty complete life story about the person a little information about the author abraham riesman he's a journalist and i recognize his work from reporting that he's done for the arts and culture website Vulture, but I know he's also written for uh, other media outlets as well, often about comics and other related things. 
I also follow him on social media, and I remember he was posting something about how the next biography that he's going to put out, hopefully uh, in the next year or two, is going to be about Vince McMahon. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. That I, I'm on board for that. I think that's got the potential for a lot of uh, a lot of drama because the nature of his work, man, and uh, the nature of the man. <laughs> Totally, man. And after yeah. seeing what a job that Abraham Reisman did on the Stan Lee biography, I'll definitely read another biography he writes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, good piece of work. The book has been out for over a year, and I think it's gotten a good amount of attention. Uh, there's definitely been some detractors mm-hmm. because it paints a pretty unvarnished picture of Stan Lee and... Uh, I guess depending on how much one mythologizes Stan Lee, yeah. uh, you know, there are definitely things that could be construed as uh, offensive. Yeah. Can I ask you something, Drew? Of course. I I'm have I'm I'm curious, you know, before we like plunge our hands into the muck, but <laughs> what were your thoughts of Stan Lee? up to the point where you read the book? Uh, well, I think my thoughts on Stan Lee evolved as I grew in my comics knowledge. Mm-hmm. Definitely, as a kid, you know, reading Marvel Comics, even in the early 90s, everything was always, Stan Lee presents Spider-Man, Stan Lee presents yeah. the X-Men, Stan Lee presents whatever, you know? And he was just such a name in the comics even though i knew he wasn't writing the comics i was reading it was hard not to buy into the hype exactly exactly he was he would write those little editorials in the on the bullpen pages so you yeah you get his kind of huckster style of writing uh when we were kids in the 90s they would have these cartoons marvel cartoons and I remember sometimes he would show up in those live action segments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he he definitely came off as a character and definitely came off as pretty much the human face behind Marvel Comics. Yeah. And when he was when he's the only face that a kid associates with the comic book company, that makes him pretty significant, I think. So Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, not only did I know his name, but I knew what he looked like. I knew yeah. what his voice sounded like. I knew his catchphrases. Yeah. He was a character, and, and that was absolutely drilled into me as a yeah. young comic book reader. I remember uh, when I was... I, I've often told the story about how I used to collect the superhero cards as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And... I remember at the the I think the very last card in series one was a Stan Lee card. So you had all the superheroes and then there was a Stan Lee card. And the funny thing was it didn't even really look like Stan Lee because it was his face, but superimposed on his face was like an amalgam of every Marvel or like all of the big Marvel superheroes. So Yeah, I remember even, that. Even as a kid, I didn't really know what I was looking at, but I knew I got the impression that this Stanley person was a big deal over there. Yeah, he was he was the most valuable player of the set, man. 
yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. I mean, you know, we'll go into this a little bit, but it was definitely it was definitely a marketing ploy on their part that had the desired effect of making me associate comics with this jovial friendly character right yeah he was kind of like walt disney or something yeah willy wonka yeah 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 and for an impressionistic kid it completely sucked me in you know like i i was i bought into the to the marketing machine there and uh it wasn't until i got a little bit older probably by the time i got back into comics when i was in college and i started reading more uh you know magazines and uh websites about comics started to i don't know i guess learn more about the the controversies behind things that he was involved in at marvel specifically all the stuff regarding creatorship or being co-creators with his collaborators particularly with jack kirby and and steve ditko so i I started to learn about that as i got older and spent a lot of time just reading about comics yeah yeah it's um yeah i i probably say the same for me like i bought it i definitely bought into it and uh I think for you, uh, like in in all this time that I've known you, you've always been more out of the two of us to be the one who was into the uh, creative details of comics. So you're you're the kind of person who wants to know like who I the writers are. Want to know how are. the cookie is made, man. Yeah, exactly. You you want every every minute detail that you can get a hold of so that you can appreciate it from every aspect. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I would say one of the effects of knowing you was I begin to think about specific writers and artists more. Uh, whereas prior to, prior to, to, to knowing you, I think I was more inclined to just read comics for specific characters or, you know, whatever they were hyping to, for me at, at any given time. Nice, man. I took the fun out of comics for you. <laughs> amongst other things. <laughs> amongst other things. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it just tastes like dirt and offal in my mouth. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I, I say all that to say this, which is, e- even in spite of all that, I knew who Stan Lee was because, like I said, he was he was the public face that they were always putting out there, and uh, and the thing of it was, I I think the naive part of me probably didn't want to give up on that idea of of what Stanley was, mm-hmm. uh, and I think this is true of a lot of comics fans. There are certainly a lot of people who, even now, even today. Uh, view him as you know the patron saint of comics essentially yeah you know yeah and and if you try to say anything uh against him it, it's it it seems like there are these two extremes where if someone if you're has, not with me 
then you're my enemy. Exactly, exactly, right? And, and it almost seems like it, it's this weird reciprocal relationship where on, on each end there's just these extremes. And um, certainly the fanboys tend to just be more zealous about the idea of what Stanley was, mm-hmm. you know? Um, Did you ever get to a point before reading this book where you started to think about how the mythology surrounding Stan Lee wasn't as pristine as you previously believed? I think no matter how much I, I, I unconsciously uh, tried to inundate myself from that, ultimately those details couldn't help but uh but uh sneak their way into my consciousness you know Mm -hmm. um oh you you mean insulate yourself from from that what did i say inundate because if you're inundating yourself doesn't that mean you're just like feeding yourself with that information okay maybe i'm in, in yeah okay insulate right I don't know, so, man. I, I I'm not a dictionary or anything, but I can look it up. <laughs> <laughs> How many people can do that? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, uh, like if I had to be honest, like one of the things that I guess was the first crack in his armor for me at least was and this and and this is before any of the news about you know his his uh his conflicts with uh creators became a thing but uh i remember i remember you know being all on board on the stan lee hype and then there would be these comics that would come out way later in his career uh just comics that you know had plastered all over them the fact that stan lee wrote this the guy that founded marvel you know so you know like any dumb impressionable ki- impressionable kid i was like oh this stan lee wrote it it has to be good <laughs> yeah and a lot of it was just dreck dude uh yeah like i the the really big one that i remember jumping on board on the the hype train was DC imagines Stanley, I think is what it was called, or Stanley imagines DC. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And this this was kind of a big deal at the time because it was Stanley coming over to DC Comics to reimagine the DC universe. You know. Yeah. And if you I look, think it's at... called Just Imagine. Okay. Just okay. Imagine Stanley's, and then it would be the name of the character. Yeah. So it would be Just Imagine Stanley's Superman. Uh-huh. Just imagine Stanley's Batman, right? Yeah. And you know, on paper, it sounds like a huge get, right? It's the guy that founded Marvel Comics doing his version of DC characters. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading those and I was just like, yeah, these aren't that good. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, Actually, and as, you know what you reminded me of? You reminded me of some of the other bad Stan Lee stuff from that later period of the 90s. Or maybe it was the early 2000s. I can't remember exactly the year, but do you remember Stripperella? Yeah, I do. 
they even mentioned it in the book where one of the few properties that he was able to uh, or one of the few intellectual properties that he was able to make happen was this animated series called Stripperella about this woman who was a stripper by night and superhero by even later at night. <laughs> <laughs> and and the thing was that they were able to get Pamela Anderson to be the voice of Stripperella. And yep. I, I don't even know if this was a big deal at the time, but it it it, it certainly wasn't one of the things that added to my confidence in, in him as a writer or a creator you know yeah yeah um yeah but even even after after reading those or experiencing those uh projects that he worked on there was a part of me that was telling myself that oh maybe this is just he's just an old man right so like he's 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 kind of in the the winter of his career. So, you know, uh, maybe it's too much to expect that he'd still be that he would still sound quite as relevant or quite as good as he did back then, right? Mhm. But so so you know, I was willing to give him that the benefit of the doubt. That, yeah, that benefit of the doubt. But I do remember hearing from certain certain peoples within the comic book community um just making mention of their displeasure of Stanley, you know? And I, I think that was the moment where I began to realize more and more that oh there might be there might be more to him. And not in a good way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um Mm-hmm. I think the first thing that I remember was uh, there's a comic creator that we that uh, that I read. Uh, I, I forget if he he did an essay or something, but it was uh, he goes by the name of his name is Durf Beckdurf. Mm-hmm. And I remember he wrote something on Stanley and it was it was a pretty harsh takedown of Stanley where he was talking about all the stuff that he created and the uh, and i it, i don't remember fully everything that he said in the article but the 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 summation of it was that he was pointing out that in all the period of time where stan lee was successful he was working with these other creators and mm-hmm. when you compare it to what stan lee did on his own in terms of what was able to withstand the test of time uh those creations were by far like less memorable yeah yeah less memorable you know um yeah so he was talking about like uh you know jack kirby and stan lee's collaboration and what what exactly came out of that collaboration and you see things like the fantastic four you see things like black panther you see things like captain america um and well not captain america well okay that was kirby and simon but right right the Avengers, the X-Men, yeah. like yeah, tons of stuff. Tons of stuff, right? But yeah, but but the implication is that 
you know, the the common thread here being that Jack Kirby worked with Stanley on these things, and this is all stuff that still uh, is very popular in uh, the mainstream Marvel comics to this day, right? Right. But in terms of what Stanley created when he went on his own, what do we have? Like, what the kangaroo? I don't yeah. even remember if that's his name. You know, kangaroo. Yep. Yeah. Ravage twenty ninety nine. Ravage twenty ninety nine. I mean, there were a bunch of other obscure characters that I can't really name, but or or uh, the the biggest one out of all of them is the kingpin. Yeah. So. And that's not a small one. That's a big one, you know. So yeah, that that's just one character though. When you when you yeah. compare the characters that Stan Lee created apart from Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby, yeah, it's a pretty small number of lasting characters. I mean, yeah. other than Kingpin, I I don't I can't think of anyone else who deserves to be mentioned. You know? Yeah. Like Kangaroo. I mean, I I barely remember what he looks like. He was just a a buff dude who could like kick heck of hard. He looks kind of like Craven the Hunter or something. Yeah, <laughs> like he was a dude in a vest, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like a poor man's Batrack the Leaper, I guess. Yeah, that's that says something. <laughs> that's that's harsh. <laughs> but when you look at the stuff that Kirby created apart from Stanley or Steve Ditko, like they they did a lot of stuff, man. Like yeah. You know, you you mentioned Captain America already, but even after uh, Kirby left Marvel, he went to DC and he he made a ton of stuff there. The yeah. New Gods, so you got Orion, uh-huh. Darkseid, Mister Miracle, High Father, Big Barda. You know, all of that entire stable of characters that could pretty much be their own comic book line if they so wanted to do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um. Steve Ditko had the Charlton characters, like The Question. Uh, and then, you know, he did stuff at DC, too, like Shade the Changing Man, uh, The Creeper. Maybe they're not right. the biggest name characters, but they're certainly more memorable than the kangaroo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's still <laughs> characters that DC trots out every so often. Like, maybe they don't yeah. have their own titles, but they're they're showing up in cartoons and video games and Probably they hold a special movie. place in somebody's heart. You yeah. Know, like, even the Creeper, who isn't, like, a huge name, like, they, like you said, they trot him out every now and then again to the point where, oh, yeah, like, this character clearly left some sort of impact on the zeitgeist, even yeah. if it's not a huge one, right? Totally. I mean, yeah. even... When we did our uh, crime comics recommendations a couple years ago, Zach's recommendation was a Creeper comic that had come out by that Vertigo had put out a, a few years uh, into the 2000s. You know, uh-huh, uh-huh. so like he still gets like there are still interesting stories being told with his with the characters that Ditko created apart from Stan Lee. I, yeah. I can't really say there have been too many Kangaroo stories or Ravage 2099 stories. Well. It was just the one Ravage 2099 story. <laughs> but how come every time Marvel tries to bring back 2099 as an imprint or they do one of those special publishing events, they never bring back old Ravage, man. Uh, he's, he's the trash collector with the heart of gold, man. Yeah. I Like, to this day, I don't know if he was meant to be, like, 
their version of I, I don't even know what he was what the idea behind that was he wasn't he a garbage man yeah exactly the whole thing was supposed to be him as garbage man in the year 2099 which on the face of it sounds like it could be interesting I, i'm not against that idea you that know? could definitely be a really fascinating science fiction slice of life kind of story exactly exactly but that's not what we got <laughs> it is not what we got at all <laughs> No, sir. No, sir. Uh, well, should we go into the book a little bit? Yeah. Let me ask you, Albert, what are your general thoughts about True Believer, the rise and fall of Stan Lee? <laughs> it's, it's a really complicated book to assess because... Um, because the subject matter... You know the 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 complexities of Stanley's life, especially when they try to be honest about it, when they try to address uh, some of the seedier notions of of his history, right? Um, mm-hmm. We're a lot of these things have been lost to time and are just things that we're never able going to be. Con- to confirm one way or another. Um, A lot of them are either allegations or... Yeah, a lot of them are allegations or or, uh, implications uh, Mm -hmm. that people are making. And and that's the, the tough thing, where so much time has passed, all we can do is kind of look at what details that we do have and make the judgments based on that, right? So we're at a point where, you know, having read this, I I do think it's a book that covers a lot of details and a lot of uh, moments from his life. And I personally felt like it was a book that tried its best to, to point these things out even though they were things that, again, didn't put him in the best light, didn't put Stan in the best light. But Mm -hmm. I I do feel like they tried their best to tell the truth, you know? Their commitment was to the truth and not so much to uh, the sensationalism of, hey, you know that one guy that you all thought was a hero? It turns out he was a monster all along, (laughs) you know? Hey, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, and, and this is completely a, uh, not preference, but, uh, it, it's something that's, it's, it's something that's determined on a person by person case, uh, person by person basis. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, in my opinion, I thought they did their best to tell the truth, and that included uh, all of the ugly details that we might not necessarily want to hear, you know? Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that that was my opinion of of book. Uh, like, I, I felt like it was really informative, and uh, and it tried its best. How about you? Yeah, first off... Let me just start off by saying that I definitely 
heartily recommend this book. I think for anyone who's interested in superhero comics or who just likes, you know, Marvel characters, movies, all the stuff that is pretty big in pop culture now. Like if you care for anyone who cares about knowing about the people who were behind those creations, this book is definitely a must read. It's, a comprehensive biography about Stanley and if if you just have the slightest interest in who Stanley was then i think you just owe it to yourself to check this book out because honestly this is far more compelling than a lot of other comics that you could have been reading with your time too you know yeah like i would there's a lot I, of drama there yeah there's a lot of drama in this story there's a lot of fascinating information but like you said there's also a lot of information that doesn't necessarily portray stan lee in the nicest way but i i don't think it's done out of uh they don't do it gleefully. Yeah. yeah exactly exactly I, I i i do think that it's it's fair in presenting the facts as they are and quotes and the research there's you know a lot of footnotes and and annotations to this book so Riesman clearly did his work um maybe maybe there are things that people take issue with in terms of especially that whole idea of of creator uh creator co- being co-creators with his collaborators and and who did what, you know, all the stuff that we're never really going to know for sure without us, without any doubt, you know, but that's just kind of the nature of it all. You know, there's going to be some ambiguity to it, but ultimately this biography really does give us a picture of a real person. You know, he's no longer just this cartoon character that we see uh, in, in the Marvel bullpen uh, editorials from the 90s when we were kids he's no longer just the guy who narrates over the cartoons that we watched he's not just the guy who shows up in a 30 second cameo in every single marvel related movie you know yeah yeah he's not just this zany uh grand uncle who who's yeah who is like a walt disney or Willy wonka kind of figure that just kind yeah. of shows for marvel he's you read this book and and you realize that stan lee was a real person with who did many notable things, but he also yeah. had his flaws just like any other person. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an absolutely uh, astute way of putting that, you know, like it's, it's a really humanizing biography and like, I don't, I don't want to, maybe the part of me that still wants to believe in him doesn't want to be the one to tell you that, hey, you need to take a stance on this guy or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the end of the day, I guess I just have to say that all, all you can do is just kind of educate yourself on the man and assess based on what you've learned, you know? And Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, that's... It, yeah, uh, there's... There's a lot more to him 
than just or there's a lot more to the controversies than just the 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 Kirby stuff too. I mean, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of things that happen later on in his career that even end up, you know, being. Uh, it even ends up being, uh, uh, you know, on the verge of fraud. You know, to the point where mm-hmm. uh, he he's he gets taken to court. And they they even ask some questions or, yeah, they even present the case that, you know, uh, a lot of the times they've viewed him as just this old man who's out of sorts, who didn't know what was going on, uh, what fi- whatever financial misdeeds were going on uh, with his own company. But they also present the idea that maybe just maybe he knew more about what was going on than he let on you know yeah yeah Um, it's again it's one of those things that's just it's hard to know for sure exactly one he's exactly he died but even when he was alive you know there it we just couldn't know the the exact truth beyond any doubt whatsoever you know yeah i mean they interviewed a lot of people and Unfortunately, he surrounded himself with a lot of crappy people at the end of his life. So yeah, yeah, their credibility is definitely too. called into question. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, it's all a very sad and messed up and tragic story, you know, mm-hmm. especially towards mm-hmm. the end. But yeah, another thing I did want to say about the book is I wanted to address the the detractors a bit because uh-huh. there are a lot of detractors of the book who think that Riesman had some kind of vendetta against Stan Lee, which is to me, it's an accusation that doesn't ring true if they actually read this book. Yeah. Cause like, I know when the book came out, it was immediately hit with controversy. Uh, you know, you had people giving it one star reviews on Amazon who didn't even read the book. Probably. People yeah. making YouTube videos saying that Reisman was trying to cancel Stan Lee, whatever that was supposed to mean. Yeah. Just, you know, people who believe that Abraham Reisman had some kind of agenda trying to tarnish or even destroy the monument of Stan Lee. Yeah. But to me, those detractors just come across as Stan Lee cheerleaders who can't bear to hear anything negative about their hero. Hmm. However, I do think Abraham Reisman presents his research and findings and shares quotes from other people in a way that helps you see a a broader picture of his subject. I don't think the book sets out to destroy the myth of Stan Lee. Yeah. I actually think Reisman does a great job of portraying his subject with a lot of depth, just like any other notable historical figure. And the people who are upset are the ones who have mythologized Lee in their own minds. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can understand. Yeah. I can understand that the biography doesn't necessarily paint Stan Lee as this all conquering hero who deserves every bit of praise and acclaim that he used to get. But even with that said, I, I do not believe that this book was written with any kind of malice. That's yeah. hard to believe. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I do think it's a microcosm for a lot of other things 
that people a lot of other issues that people have with the current media culture um mm-hmm. where you know just because you hear something that you don't necessarily like all of a sudden it becomes a bias or we we hunt down or 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 look for these weak spots that we can claim are some sort of uh bias on someone's part because they have some sort of vested interest in the outcome of this sort of thing mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. it's i don't know it when when you start to believe that like it's it it warps the reality of what the nature of truth is overall you know yeah and and you know not to like get too far away from uh the subject matter of of Stan Lee and all that but i yeah yeah i just feel like this is this instance of it in and of itself is just kind of indicative of the bigger problem that people have with media and how uh there's a failure to trust in it right Mm -hmm. to some degree i get it there's there's a lot of examples of instances where the media has failed or the media has shown some sort of bias uh towards things um you know we we it might have squandered a lot of its goodwill um you know from from much earlier on uh from previous eras where you know you had things like whitewater or you know um uh, the media finding out about uh what's crimes. whitewater uh not whitewater what was it watergate oh, sorry watergate that was okay what was i mean whitewater is a thing too but but you know uh, it's just there was a period of time where like the media did all this stuff and like caught all these crimes and you know it, we kind of put put it on this pedestal and since then it's a lost a lot of its credibility and yeah and, and now we're kind of in this place where everything is in doubt you know mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate but i i do think you can still kind of teach people to be wise consumers of information right mm-hmm. like i don't know i mean i don't know how to tell someone to have an open mind and you know entertain the possibility that sometimes the truth is just the truth regardless of what anyone gains from it but it is what it is yeah whether you like it or not has no bearing on whether it's true or not yeah and there are even instances where okay maybe this person does have something to gain that doesn't make it any less true yeah you know that's mhm i agree it's it's unfortunate but yeah all right did you want to talk about any of the specific things that you noticed in terms of what you saw from detractors like i i think you sent me even just doing like a loose casual dive of uh the reviews of the book just do a cursory glance of the one-star reviews on amazon and you will find ridiculous things (laughs) yeah there's there's comedy man like this one there was one dude that wrote he started his one-star review by writing, I have read biographies of Hitler that were more sympathetic to their subject. <laughs> I, I read that. I just, I just busted out laughing, man. Yeah. 
It's like, really? You think this guy was worse than those guys? <laughs> the people that were that went out of their way to crap on Hitler? <laughs> people are ridiculous, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it's comedic, man. It's comedic. Was there was there anything from the detractors that jumped out at you? I mean, that one story uh, did jump out at me. Uh, the other one that you mentioned was how... And and I don't think he said anything super, like, out there or bizarre or anything, but it, it was a big name, and it was uh, James Gunn, the guy who directed The Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And the fact that he he's someone I like, <clears throat> and he's someone who, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, the movies that he did put out, but, you know, uh, the fact that he would just wade into this is kind of surprising to me um i like I I he's a comics fan too and he has his opinions yeah yeah I, I guess i just never realized how big of a comics fan he was you know yeah um, yeah so so like for our listeners when the book came out last year james gunn tweeted about about the book and he is i can't remember exactly how he worded it but he basically just provided a link to this roy thomas article on uh the on hollywoodreporter.com uh-huh. and gun basically implied or he, he said that if you're thinking of buying true believer you should read this article by roy thomas and the roy thomas article was pretty much you know just completely attacking the veracity and credibility of true believer you know and and Roy Thomas was somebody who was one of those early Marvel guys, definitely a friend of Stanley. I mean, I think I guess in the he book probably... he was even mentioned that he was like his protege, wasn't he? Yeah, he was his protege. Yeah. And you know, he he did a lot of Marvel writing back in the sixties and, and seventies and, and eighties. Uh you know, he's probably also Jack Kirby's friend. Like I I don't have I don't think that they had animosity towards each other or anything, but He's always been looked at as a Stan Lee guy, you know? Yeah. And I still remember reading some of Jack Kirby's New Gods comics. And there was an issue. I think it was a a Mr. Miracle issue. I'm pretty sure it was Mr. Miracle where... uh, And remember, this is after Jack had left Marvel because, you know, he couldn't get along with Stan Lee, I guess. Yeah, but but he had a he did this story in Mr. Miracle where he created this this pompous buffoon of a villain named Funky, Funky Flashman. Flashman. Yeah, who was basically <laughs> just a caricature of Stan Lee. Like yeah. he he looked just like Stan Lee. He talked in a similar cadence. He had the he had a beard, but he also had like a a toupee or something. Just like he was basically a huckster. A huckster, like a exactly. Yeah, exactly. And in that comic, that funky Flashman character had a lapdog underling named House Roy, who looked like Roy Thomas. <laughs> yeah. And so, from what I remember, like, I don't know if he was really a villain in the mold of like a menacing villain that you would think of, but. He always seemed like he was the kind of character who would 
steal whatever he could or if if his benefit meant that he, it required that he would sacrifice any of the heroes for him to either escape or to get what he wanted he would do that that yeah. that was kind of my recollection of that just character. the guy who was out for number one looking out for himself yeah yeah and it it's you know pretty straightforward to read that and be like okay that's how kirby viewed stan lee at that moment in time yeah there's an anecdote in the book where when jack kirby created that character uh i think roy thomas like yeah he roy thomas was still friends with jack kirby i think it was roy thomas anyways so i could be wrong uh, but basically he was having lunch with Jack Kirby and he was talking about how Stan was actually pretty hurt by that, you know, by mm-hmm. that representation of him. And all Jack Kirby could say was something to the effect of it's all in good fun. But, <laughs> but you know, to Stan, it wasn't, you know, like, yeah. 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 I, I mean, speaking of like, just stand the man uh as he's portrayed in the book uh it 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 really does feel like he's a guy who just wanted people to love him you know yeah he spent so much of his time and energy just putting himself out there and even if it meant unfortunately even if it meant embellishing the truth um he would do it if it meant that he could get like the adoration of the people, you know, the masses. Yeah. He definitely longed for people to appreciate and love him. Yeah. And approve him. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, how when he started in comics, he, he wasn't necessarily a big fan of comics. Yeah. But it was just kind of this job that he did and and uh his he was born stanley lieber but he would sign his comics stan lee because he didn't want to tarnish his real name for the day when he would write a real novel or an actual work of art something that he could be proud of well an interesting anecdote that i remembered from the book regarding this was um i mean it's a couple of things really but you know his name being Stanley Lieber, like it's 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 Jewish by by heritage, right? Mm-hmm. And you would think that it'd be him changing his name to Stan Lee. Uh, there'd be some sort of conflict there, but there really wasn't early on uh, because apparently he wasn't uh, a person who was really big on his Jewish heritage, or yeah. or yeah, so. So when the opportunity came up, it's like you said, he he wanted to put his name as Stan Lee because he imagined that at some point he'd be doing far greater works and he wanted to be able to use the name Stanley Lieber for when he writes, you know, his War and Peace. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Another one of the interesting things about the book is I think Riesman does a good amount of research into Stanley's family. And um, certainly if you're interested in, in 
learning more about his Jewish heritage, then there's a lot of research into his back into Stanley's background. I think that that was one of the notable things that, that kind of stood out. I mean, I I think I always knew that Stanley was Jewish, but that wasn't really like the first thing I thought about when I thought of him, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it, it never it was never really something that that he seemed to make he, a big deal of. Yeah, exactly. It's not something that he made a big deal of. It's not something that like he wasn't so from what I remember in the book, his family were pretty devout. Like his father was mm-hmm. you know, uh a firm believer of of their faith, you know? So him moving away from that there was definitely uh friction in the household from mm-hmm. from that choice um yeah yeah, yeah. i i yeah. think his his parents were from romania and they they came to america in like the i don't know like probably around like the 20s 1920s or something because he was born in 22. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it, you're you're right. The book does cover a lot of the background of Stan. Things just I wasn't really aware of. Um, Do you want to... Like, I didn't even know he had a brother. <laughs> oh, he didn't? His yeah. brother wrote comics too. Yeah, Larry Lieber. Yeah. And he kept the last name. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. he's he, he wasn't anyone that was ever on my radar but but it's interesting because um larry lieber he he kind of plays a big part of the biography even though he's not like super in it a lot but he's kind of stan lee's connection to the past you know he 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 serves that sort of a role as uh the one man who simultaneously knew like truly knew Stanley but also didn't really know Stanley at the same time yeah it kind of seemed like towards the later parts of their lives they weren't super close yeah and i don't know man there's that was something that it, it's there's kind of something sad about the whole situation because from what i know about larry lieber he wasn't living in wealth the way that stan lee had a lot of money you know yeah like he i think he lives in a small apartment uh, somewhere in new york because it was rent controlled for all these years and like you know he he's he's not living this extravagant life the way that his brother was really comfortable like there were stories about how during their career when there were lulls for Lair Lieber there were even times where he would go to Stan and ask Stan for work because he was just that desperate for it Mm -hmm. and Stan wouldn't even really help him he would just say he said something to the effect of I'm not involved in like hiring and firing. I can't do that. But even Larry understood that that was bullcrap. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um 
there was this one other anecdote that I remember where uh, I think Stan Lee went to New York Comic Con, and this was like much much later in their lives, but mm-hmm. it's it's a story that Larry told, and it's it's really kind of heartbreaking. But it was about how Stan Lee showed up, and he hadn't told them that he was going to be in New York Comic Con, you know. Mm-hmm. So Stan Lee shows up, and all on the online. And, um, you know, on the news, there was news about how Stanley was in New York and all these people were there. And Larry and his wife were just watching this. And Larry talks about how it broke his heart that Stanley, that Stan didn't come to see him because his partner would have loved to have met him. Would, like, would have loved to, like, it wasn't even like a selfish thing, you know. It was more that she just wanted to be able to like be have that you know be a part of that part of his life you know like his family you know and she wanted to i think the way he put it was she wanted to have something to be she wanted to be proud for him you know and stan took that from her by Mm. not yeah coming to see them it's really sad you know and and as much as I want to believe in the myth of Stanley as much as I want to believe that he was this good guy who who wrote these uh, noble heroic stories that taught you how to be a good person or whatever. Um, like I can't help but hear something like that and you know feel a little bit of disappointment in the man for just being so callous towards his own brother you know yeah yeah that's pretty rough yeah do you want to talk a little bit through stanley's biography or you know just the general chronological order of events of his life yeah we'll go into the beats a little bit but uh you know the the early portion of the book discusses his family life, you know, his parents and, uh, you know, just upbringing, his upbringing. Exactly. Uh, he was born in 1922 and then it covers the period into 1961 where, you know, uh, we follow Stanley's career as he gets a job with his uncle at timely comics and just, uh, what people's recollections of him are at that time. Um, and then, you know, in that period of 1961 where he writes Fantastic Four number one and that just elevates him to this status, um, between 1961 and 1998 when he's, uh, you know, at his highest creative output as writer and then, um, eventually editor in chief at Marvel, you know, so, and then figurehead (laughs) and then, yeah, just uh, mascot slash figurehead. Yeah. Um, Mascot is a good word, (laughs) but when 1998 hits, uh, when, when the bust, the comics bust occurs, um, the, the latter end of the book follows his life in his various endeavors following Marvel comics, where he begins to leverage himself as, Stanley the brand as opposed to Stanley the the writer and creator, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's kind of the the bare bones layout for whatever for for the 
structure that the biography follows. Yeah, I thought it was really well done how the biography covers so much of his early years. Like uh-huh. all the stuff about his parents, I don't it might not be super uh relevant maybe, but yeah. I still thought it was interesting and just the fact that Reisman went out of his way to to do that additional research and put that in the book, it just makes it feel more complete, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, I want to talk. Then, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. And no, I was just gonna say, like, the fact that it goes all the way to what he does after he leaves Marvel, that makes the book feel even more satisfying. Because, uh, to be honest, like that was the stuff that really interested me. Because I feel like we already know a good amount of his what he did at Marvel, and yeah, uh, you know, the the prime years of his career, as well as uh, you know, the era that we grew up in. Yeah. So I was I was really interested in reading about his the last couple decades of his life basically. Yeah. And there's definitely stuff in the last couple of decades where some of the ventures that he went out in I I like remember some of those and Yeah. At the time they were just things where they were like oh this is a thing that he worked on and I I I even went to go check out some of them but really they weren't things Yeah, like you know, uh, not to get too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I mean, what can I say? I like boobs. <laughs> Some might say a little too much. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> but, uh, but um, no, I was talking about his Stanley Media stuff um, where he was. Cre- Do you remember that? The Stanley Media stuff? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where he was creating his own superheroes yeah it was a website where they were using flash to make cartoons uh you remember those old early flash cartoons yep yeah really choppy looking and whatever but he was gonna build those out to be his new comic book or superhero empire you know um it didn't work out that way it oh yeah it did not it did not (laughs) But, uh, yeah, like, these were things that I remembered at the time cause, just because there was a lot of fanfare around them. But then yeah. I remember going to the website when I was, what I guess we were in high school at that point. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I didn't really think much of it. I Like, I saw what I saw, and it, it wasn't, none of it was material that kept me coming back at all, you know? Mm-hmm. But in my mind, I was just like, okay, it's the thing. And then I just moved on from it. And apparently everybody else felt the same way. So, yeah. uh, um, but we just never realized that there was like so much going on behind the scenes in terms of uh, the financial fraud that was going on and yeah. uh, just the the crimes that were taking place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so. So this book definitely helps to uh, give us a detailed explanation of the backstory of all those things, of all those ventures, and uh, I guess how how Stanley reflected, or or how it reflected on Stanley uh, mm-hmm. after all those things happened, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 that goes back to the thing that I was saying earlier about how. At worst, in a worst case scenario, he he was more 
uh, complicit than we might have believed him to be. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, anyways, I, I did want to talk about his early years a little bit, just in terms of some of the anecdotes that kind of establish uh, a precedent for what Stan Lee was like in his youth mm-hmm. and moving forward into his adulthood, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the anecdotes that I remember was that there there are quite a few anecdotes that – uh, and interviews where Stan talks about what his upbringing was like. And he talks about how one in one particular anecdote, he talks about how he, he had this English teacher that inspired him to be a writer. You know, he, he tells this story about how he won this, uh, you know, first place in this writing competition. And there was this one teacher who said that, Oh, even then, I knew that he was going to be a great writer. And the funny thing was, they they tried to track down, you know, this English teacher and uh, any proof of awards that Stanley had ever won, and they never found any of that. You know, in terms of the teachers that they did find that went that were there at the school with him, often as the case, what they found was people who who knew him, teachers who knew him, but they never felt like he had any destiny to write, you know? They never felt like he was going to write the great American novel or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, the few awards that he did win, from what I remember, they he, he basically got participation trophies, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the way that the book presents this is it's an indicator for of like future behavior that he would have, which is Stanley was a guy who we we've referred to him as a huckster a couple of times in in this podcast or in this episode. So I guess if, if we were to be more generous, we, we could say that he had a way of presenting himself in a grandiose fashion. Yeah, you know <laughs> He knew how to market himself, let's put it that way, yeah, right? Yeah. And this was just another indicator that he knew what a good narrative looked like, and he wanted to be able to sell that narrative to us. This idea yeah. that he was meant for greatness, this idea that there was some uh, beloved teacher out there in the world who knew him and uh, would eventually inspire him to be the great writer that he is today. Yeah, yeah, he's but, he's building his own mythology with that. Exactly, exactly. Right? So it's it's interesting that the the tools that he has to do this if he had just been a more honest dude, we we could look at those same tools and look at how he applied it to the Marvel universe and be like, yeah, he knew how to use the skills of mythology building to build this mythology as editor in Marvel, because he did bring something to Marvel. Like I don't, in spite of all the, the negative things that we are bringing up about this, the book does this too. It acknowledges that in terms of uh, his role as editor, he did have a lot of innovative ideas in terms of how to 
like, he's responsible for the shared universe. Exactly. Right. That was, that was something that hadn't been seen up to that point before. But now look at how Hollywood is. Everybody's trying to create their own cinematic universe. Exactly. Exactly. He, in, in addition to that, he had things like the letters column where like he would talk directly to people writing letters uh, that were sent to, to comics. Yeah, that was fan letters. He would yeah, make him, that, he'd make people feel like, like they were family or friends or something. Yeah. That was something that never existed prior in comics prior to to him you know so he he definitely made contributions to comics but it's just unfortunate that so much of it so much of his contributions are kind of muddied by the fact that he used those same skills to you know Mm -hmm. to discredit other people or maybe not discredit but downplay other people's uh, credit when it came to yeah creating works you know yeah yeah exactly in his early years at timely uh from what i remember of the book and you know it's it's been a while since i've listened to it so the the details might not be all fresh to me but another example of his mythology building was when he got hired he was hired by his uncle you know and mm-hmm. a lot of people weren't really sure what he brought to the team uh you know it it was just a job to him right but the way that he talks talked about it or that he has spoken about it in several interviews he talks about it in this big grandiose story where he he goes down to marvel and he you know he 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 sells him he pitches himself to to the editors and they go you're hired and and that's you know that was the first step in his legendary <laughs> journey and yeah and like i get it he doesn't want to admit that maybe nepotism was <laughs> some part of it but hey everybody i got really lucky because my uncle owned the company <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> So, again, we see this conflict between the reality of the situation and what and what Stanley wanted to sell it as, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and it's just this thing that is constantly recurring in Stanley's life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty unfortunate. And I, I think he also another thing that we see from even in those earlier years in his career was he was a company man yeah absolutely. you know somebody who 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 was not necessarily on the side of the labor or the workforce but really i don't know i wouldn't i don't know if corporate shill is the right term but you know just somebody who who was more part of the management yeah. than than you know one of the people churning out the work yeah and I remember, anecdote, yeah. yeah. Oh, you no, want to no, share your anecdote first? Go ahead. No, by all means, go. Oh, I was I was gonna share that one anecdote, and uh, unfortunately, I, I can't remember all of the specifics in terms of the dates and and whatnot. But I remember there was a guy who was an artist for the company at at Timely. I think it was Timely, at, um, when Stanley was there, when and this guy was doing a lot of work and. People 
in the workplace recognized his talent, but I guess uh, what ended up happening was he got so overworked one day, uh, he was waiting for a train, and due to exhaustion, I think he fell onto the tracks or something and, and ended up dying in an accident. And people thought he was exhausted because he just been he was just overworked. And I, th- I think Kirby, Jack Kirby himself, uh, had even s- said to people that he he blamed Stan Lee for that, you know. And and obviously that that's not like a light thing to say about somebody. Yeah. Um, and I I don't know if Jack Kirby said that because he genuinely believed it or if he was just if he just felt some way about Stan Lee, but apparently he he felt strongly enough about either yeah. the situation or Stan Lee to to say that out loud to to other people. Yeah, yeah, it's it doesn't make Stan look good. Yeah, I mean it doesn't necessarily make Jack Kirby look good either. But yeah, yeah, it's it's just you know. A tragic situation with added layers of complexity because yeah. of the figures involved. Yeah. And yeah, speaking of Jack Kirby, like, and, and even the idea of Stan as this company man. Um, I mean, there are a couple of stories in in the autobiography, but one of the thing. Well, okay. The first thing that they mentioned is how, you know. When Jack Kirby first started working with Stan, um, the 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 way that he portrays Stan is pretty dismissive of the guy, you know, because um, wait, the way that Kirby portrays him, or, or that, the way that Reisman portrays him, the way that Kirby, or I guess the way that Kirby talks about Stan when he first shows up is mm-hmm. pretty dismissive. Because he yeah. talks about how yeah. <laughs> Stan is just this kid, yeah. you know, skipping around the office, playing his flute, you know. Ocarina. Ocarina, yeah. <laughs> it, just it, like Link. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's pretty funny because I, I don't even remember what... I, I don't think this was the, the point in time where um, Lee was... an a quote unquote editor or anything like that. I don't even really know what his official title was at this point, but it just goes to show just, you know, at least as far as Kirby was concerned at up to this point, Stanley's contribution was non-existent just based on the sounds of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But another anecdote. Yeah. But another anecdote that just, paints Stan Lee as this this corporate you know shill or whatever uh it talks about how Jack and uh I forget who the other artist was at the time they were they were working at Timely but you know because they were trying to make a living for themselves they were also working for the competition and they were talking amongst themselves when they happened to see Stan close by and they they kind of interrogate him briefly uh you know about uh what they had said you know telling him not to tell anyone about it Mm -hmm. but 
shortly thereafter, uh, the owner of Timely comes to them and and fires them, you know, and yeah. and Jack Jack always blamed Stan Lee for that. He always there was like no proof that Stan Lee was the one that told them that they had been, you know, working for the competition, but in his heart, he always blamed Stan for that. And that was, that's something that I I don't know if it affected their relationship with one another moving forward or for the rest of their lives, but it, it did feel like it was something that, would always be this roadblock between the two of them, like something that he always held in his heart against yeah. Stan Lee, you know? Just the idea that Stan Lee was a snitch. Yeah. Yeah. And snitches get stitches. Snitches end up in ditches. <laughs> right. Yeah. But those were those were some of the you know, some of the stories that jumped out at me and they just kind of point to the character of the man, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's not something that puts him in a good light. You know, no one wants to think of their comic book writing hero as a guy who was selling out another man who just wanted to make an honest living, you know? Yeah. But... Sometimes when when you look at uh, when you look at the the real people, uh, it just requires that you observe hard truths, whether you like it or not. You know. Yeah, and keep in mind there is no absolute proof that Stan Lee snitched on Jack Kirby in that situation. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no absolute proof, so people can still believe that he's not a snitch if they want. Yeah. It's that's true. That's true. It's it's hard. It's hard not to believe it, but you can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want to move on to the next period? Uh, the you know Silver Age of Marvel. Yeah, man. I, I yeah, think. I mean, yeah. That that's certainly the period when Stan Lee is at the apex of his influence. Uh, I was about to say the the peak of his creativity, but <laughs> you know, it, it, reading this book, and I think based on other books that have been written about Stanley and other scholarly articles about him, that that's where the controversy with the man is, right? Yeah. Like the idea that yeah. how creative was he? Because general public, and I'm by general public, I'm just talking about the masses of today you know the people who associate stan lee with marvel comics because of the cameos in all the marvel movies yeah right like people that don't read comics that don't follow comics very closely or are just casual fans or people who are just fans of the superhero movies they they know who he is they know his name they recognize him because of those cameos i remember going to movies the first few times when uh the mcu was starting out right and and we would go with our friends who didn't follow comics and they would start to notice hey how come all these movies have this old guy yeah uh, playing these little characters like who is he is he somebody and you know being the comic book f- 
fans of our friend groups, we would be the ones who would have to explain who he is. And, you know, that's yeah. Stan Lee. He did this and that. Yeah. But then, you know, you never really have time to be like, well, he supposedly created yeah, this yeah, character. Yeah. <laughs> but that's in dispute. Yeah. <laughs> because we don't know how involved he was. You know, we, you know, nobody has time to get into that when somebody's just asking you a casual, simple question. Like, nobody needs yeah. a lecture like that. But, um, you know, this is our podcast now. And I love it when people listen to what we have to say. <laughs> so... <laughs> We can <laughs> we can talk a little bit more about what we're trying to do is we're trying to start our own cult is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to our voice. <laughs> do you like do you like our dulcet tones? <laughs> <laughs> the interesting so, thing about that yeah. though is that um they 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 discuss it later in the books and this is just an aside on my part but. Um, the the strategy of putting Stanley in all these movies had this unintended side effect of revitalizing his career in this huge way, you know? Yeah, like that that effect that Drew just described, where people would ask, "Hey, who's this old guy that they keep showing in these movies?" All of us imagine that happening on the scale of all these Marvel movies. So for every 10, 20 people, uh, there's one, one Drew and one Albert out there explaining that to them. And all of a sudden, this information is disseminated. It, it just spreads like wildfire. And all of a sudden, all these people begin to gain this collective consciousness of who this man is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it it really did get to the point where I remember there would be times when we would watch, I would watch a Marvel movie with some friends and then I would he overhear a couple of my other friends talking to each other after the movie. Who, who was that guy? And then like somebody would say, Oh, that's the guy who created the Marvel universe. And then I would just be like, time out guys. Hold <laughs> on. <laughs> that's when you hear the record scratch. Scream. <laughs> Because that that was the kind of thing that would drive me nuts as a comic book fan, you know? Yeah. Like, maybe maybe that wasn't the best thing to to say to a couple of friends who just wanted to enjoy a movie. But man, th there's just something about these really simplistic uh, ways of consuming information that that just bug me because it's not accurate you know like i i can't say he's the guy who created the marvel universe or whatever you know like i think stanley heck didn't he appear in like the deadpool movie or something and he, what did he have to do with deadpool yeah yeah like i i it wouldn't surprise me if he was in the deadpool movie i don't 100 percent remember if he was or not because yeah because I feel like he was definitely in a movie with characters that he didn't create, though. Like, yeah. if it wasn't Deadpool, maybe it was Wolverine or, or something. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. But that, yeah, I mean, that sounds accurate. But Yeah, his, his yeah. name is just synonymous with Marvel Comics. And yeah. it's, 
again, like you said, it, it was great for his own personal brand, but there was also something a little detrimental to his most notable collaborators, you know? Yeah. Like it, to me, it just feels wrong that everybody knows who Stanley is, but nobody knows who Steve Ditko is or Jack Kirby. Yeah. Or Don yeah. Heck or whoever, yeah. you know, it's like, how, how can, how can you just, how can anyone just say, Oh, and associate uh Spider-Man with just St- Stan Lee, you know? Yeah. Like it, I mean, even the, even though the credits, I think will still have Ditko's name on them. It, there's just, it's like you said, man, the collective consciousness just prefers a simple version of reality. And yeah. one name is a lot easier to remember than two names or three names or however many names you want to list out there. Most people don't actually care about who created what. They just want to enjoy a good movie or a yeah. fun movie. They like simple narratives, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and and it's... In this case, it's... Maybe most of the times a simple narrative is fine for, you know, casual conversation or whatever. But in this case, it's unfortunate because there are other people who are connected to these stories that didn't get anywhere near as much of the the credit or even the security that came with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like... Jack Kirby, again, so as someone that we've mentioned a couple of times already, he, I think to comic fans, we know who he is. And he's certainly a much more recognizable name than um, most uh, comics artists in, in the community. But Especially from that time period. Yeah, especially, exactly, especially from that time period. But you know, if you ask, I have a feeling if you ask like the average uh, MCU moviegoer, like I, I don't think they know Jack Kirby anywhere near as much as they would know Stan Lee. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, you could. I, I'm confident if you did like a Man in the Street sort of uh, a Q and A, like people would be. S- people are more likely to answer Stanley than Jack Kirby most of the time. And, and yeah, and that sucks. It's, it's, it's sad because it's outrageous. It's unfair. <laughs> well, I was going to say that towards the end of his life, like they even mentioned in the book that, he, that Jack Kirby wasn't poor or anything, but he wasn't by any means rich, you know? Not like and Stan Lee. Not, especially Stan not Lee compared to was, Stan Lee. Yeah, Stan Lee was doing really well. Yeah, he was doing well enough where even though he said he was broke, what it was was he was just spending, or his family rather, was just spending ridiculously. Yeah, his his wife and his daughter spent a lot of money. Yeah, extravagantly. Yeah, but they lived lavish lives. But he could afford to spend like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, like they were like just buying apartments like left and right for their daughter. Uh, yeah. Like I think they estimated She was kind that, of like a socialite and party animal type of person. Yeah. And I think they were saying that Joan, his wife, was spending in the ballpark of like 50 grand a month or something like that just on 
random stuff. I could that number might be wrong, but it it wasn't a small number from what I remember. Yeah, know? yeah, that's some that's some crazy stuff because that's not how regular people live. Yeah, and yeah, and from what we know about Jack Kirby, he was just living like a regular person. Yeah, and that's for a guy who created so much and uh, so much beloved stories. Like that's a shame, man. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It really is. Yeah, I think just to just for any listeners, uh, in case they're not super familiar with how things were at Marvel back in the '60s when the Marvel Age was was born, like the the reason why there's this controversy between creatorship or co-creatorship is because nobody really kept written records of who did what back in those days you know it it wasn't clear nowadays people know better and they keep track of who creates what and it you know it's written down and you know there's evidence and and proof a paper trail so that yeah. you know which person was responsible for what part of the story or the creating a character or whatever it may be in the comic book. But back then they were just kind of flying by the seat of their pants. It's because so many other people got screwed. Yeah. And it, it's, it's just, they didn't keep good records. And over time, people's, the creators memories would, they would either, you know, have a, a poor memory or maybe they would, uh, I mean, I guess that was the main thing. They they would either misremember it or just not remember it very well, or they would be inconsistent yeah. in recounting the stories. Because I think if you look at interviews over the years from Stan Lee and Jack Kirby when they were alive, when they would be interviewed about who did what, like I, I, I'm pretty sure they contradict themselves at yeah. different points, you know? But, well, but uh, that's one of the things that makes it a little that muddies the waters even more. Yeah. Yeah. The inconsistencies. Yeah. I think for a lot of people who want to, who want like a clear cut narrative and, uh, you know, either way, whichever direction that that narrative goes, even the people who want to look at this story and say that Stan Lee is clearly the villain and Jack Kirby is the, the guy who, uh, was was wronged. wronged. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, even the book acknowledges that there were things about Jack Kirby's recollection that put into question whether he was entirely accurate about, uh, Mm -hmm. about his claims that he owned all of it. Like one of the things that they mentioned was that Jack Kirby in his later years, when he began to make a commotion about what his claims were, one of the things that he ended up saying was that, he had a claim to Spider-Man, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that's, you know, again, as much as I respect Kirby for what he did do, and I want to give him the credit that he's deserved, like throwing something like that in there doesn't, doesn't help his case because Steve Ditko is the guy that was behind the art, you know? Um, yeah. I think what Kirby said was he, designed the spider-man costume or at least did the original design but he was too busy to draw amazing fantasy 15 and that's why ditko ended up doing it but again 
there's no real documentation of that and it's it's really hard to say whether he did or not you know and ultimately um i don't know if his design if he actually created a design that ditko ended up adapting maybe there's some more research out there that i'm just not remembering or i just didn't see but it it adds to the the complexity of the matter yeah the The... oh go go ahead ahead. (laughs) (laughs) well the other thing i was going to mention and this is something that's kind of at the root of all this as well is um the way that they used to write comics back in the day uh especially in the early days of marvel was something called the marvel method and that that marvel method is by and far like a large part responsible for this confusion so the way that they would do comics is that because they were just pumping these out so quick what what they would do is the the writer and the artist would sit down okay supposedly the writer and the artist would sit down they'd have a session they'd talk out what the basic outline of the story was the artist would then proceed to draw that story and then uh the writer would then fill in the dialogue and the the text uh mm-hmm. after it's done it's it's a it's a quick way of getting these out and that's that's how they used to do it expediency so, was important because Stan Lee was pretty much the only guy writing those Marvel comics at the time. Yeah, yeah. And and there there are uh, reports that Stan Lee would write down like a summary of the story. Uh-huh. So like I I think they would he would talk with the artist about what the story beats would be and then yeah. he'd give them like a sheet of paper. Like usually I don't think it was more than one side of a normal sheet of paper just written written by hand with the general story and then the artist would take that plot and do the hard work of converting it into you know a 22 or a 25 page story with all the pacing solved in by the artist you know so like in a lot of ways the artist was doing a lot more work because i don't know if you've tried to create a comic but coming up with pacing and and layouts that's that's a lot to ask of one Mm. person to do you know Mm. like at least if you're working from a full script you don't have to think about that as much you know you already know like page one is going to have have uh these certain scenes and then page 17 is going to have these scenes and you know so on and so forth but for the artist to have to come up with that all himself within a limited yeah. time and then draw it all it, it's it's asking a lot and i think if we consider that storytelling I, w- I would say it's fair to call the artist in that situation yeah a co-writer or yeah. at the very least a co-plotter yeah uh, yeah and yeah in the later years that's that's exactly the argument that jack kirby would make well I might even say that he might have gone the extra step further of saying that there were times where Stan didn't even give him the plot. Yeah. Give him the plot. Exactly. So yeah. 
there there might be more to say according to Jack Kirby anyways that he might have been more uh, like you you could even argue that he was more of a writer than Stanley was in in that sense you know yeah or yeah contributed more at the very least mm-hmm. yeah. and then after the art was done Stan Lee would go back in and write all the dialogue and and the narrative captions and stuff yeah but uh it's it's tough because what Stan Lee would later say in in interviews you know years after the Fantastic 4 and Avengers and X-Men and so forth were all created he would he would usually call himself the creator of those characters Spider-Man yeah. included and he's always got some you know funny story about how he thought them up to yeah the story like it's it served to act as a charming way to like i guess build connectivity to to his story but it also building his mythology yeah but exactly it's another instance of mm-hmm. him again just building his own mythology but it also either had the intended or unintended effect of him essentially laying claim to this work, whether he did it or not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it it always seemed like it was not easy for him to give equal credit to his collaborators. Yeah. And, And from what I remember, Ditko ended up... Uh, pressing Stan for uh, a co-plotter credit in Amazing Spider-Man. So that that's why, like, if you look at the early issues of Amazing Spider-Man, it, it's, it lists Stan Lee as the writer and Ditko as the artist. But I think yeah. the last couple issues of their run, Ditko was... Uh, Ditko and Stan Lee were credited as co-plotters. Yeah. and And, like, he had to... He had to pester and, and fight Stan Lee just for that amount of acknowledgement in, yeah. in the credits of the comic that he made with Stan Lee, you know? It, yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess even at some point that wasn't even enough for him. Yeah. And he just felt underappreciated and ended up leaving Marvel. Yeah. Well, there were, like, additional details to that, too. Um, from what I remember, it might be Ditko or it might be someone else. I'm pretty sure it was Ditko, though. But towards the end... And, and this doesn't paint Stan in a good light, but because of Ditko wanting more credit, towards the end, uh, from what I remember, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko weren't even talking to each other anymore. Like, Stan would just cut him out of the process, you know? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I don't think Steve Ditko talked to a lot of people yeah, for a lot yeah. of years. He he was a kind of a hermit who... Well. Uh, when I said towards the end, I meant towards the end of the Spider-Man run. Like, oh, while they were working okay. on it. While they oh, were working yeah. on it. yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. So, while they were working on it, uh, because uh, because Steve Ditko wanted more credit, um, Stan begrudgingly, or, or at least the way that... If you take the details, and if you were to... Uh, draw a conclusion from those details it sounds like stan 
basically begrudgingly gave Ditko the credit to be a co-plotter mm-hmm. at the cost of uh, any more communi- communication with him. He he would basically just shut him out of working with him directly at that point, you know? Yeah. And And there's even signs of this, and this was something that happened to both Ditko and Kirby from what I remember, but um, because Stan was heavily involved in writing the notes in the letters columns, this there's actually evidence of this. But whenever uh, when when the subject of uh, Kirby plotting one of these stories or Ditko plotting one of these stories, mm-hmm. Stan would write these really passive aggressive, snarky like uh uh notes or 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 letters in the in the fan columns responses yeah these responses that that would just put ditko and kirby down and yeah and again it was a thing where he just played off like oh yeah we're just playing this for laughs you know it's It's the bullpen we're just joshing around yeah but you know if you add that layer of context to it 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 really does feel kind of hostile yeah, it's definitely a pretty passive aggressive move. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's just again, it's not for a guy I want to like for the accomplishments that I believe he accomplished, uh it, it's not something that endears him to me, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stan Lee definitely loved the spotlight way more than Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby did. Like Stan Lee, you could say he hunted the spotlight. He was yeah. and and at the peak of the Marvel age or the Silver Age of Marvel, you know, by the time we were in the mid 60s, Marvel was becoming a pretty hot thing because it caught on with college students and I remember he was even going to college campuses and and giving speeches and stuff. He would uh, get profiled in in uh, newspapers and, and newspapers. magazines. Yeah. yeah, like there there was one anecdote that stood out, and it had to do with uh, a profile that was. Let me see. I have in my notes in 1966, Nat Friedland of the New York Herald Tribune did a feature on Marvel titled superheroes with super problems the article focused on stan lee as a hip figure and presented him as a creative genius with movie star handsome good looks who brought the marvel universe into existence however friedland was not so generous with kirby in the piece he called kirby quote a middle-aged man with baggy eyes and a baggy robert hollish suit i don't know who robert hall is but that sounds like an insult. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Robert Hall. <laughs> Friedland also said of Kirby, quote, if you stood next to him on the subway, you would peg him for the assistant foreman in a girdle factory. Yeah. That's uh that's pretty insulting. Yeah. I think. That's pretty insulting. And it's not too difficult to understand why Lee's collaborators would feel slighted, especially yeah. when Lee himself didn't really do much to assuage those kind of feelings. Yeah. And and uh, like I I remember reading that Kirby was 
annoyed or maybe even hurt by that portrayal in the magazine. And yeah, maybe that's not necessarily Stan Lee's fault, but I do have to wonder like how much did Stan Lee play himself up to that reporter, you know, like it, it's just one of those things that it it's on top of all the other things that Stan Lee was doing or saying, or the way that he was treating his collaborators like that's just another thing onto that pile you know and i i can't really i can't really blame kirby for being annoyed at yeah marvel or being annoyed at stan lee because of stuff like that and you you do see over the years just how hesitant stan lee always was to give his collaborators full recognition as co-creators yeah like you yeah. remember when when the first toby Maguire spider-man was coming out and mm-hmm. so spider-man was back in the news and everything and uh you know obviously they were interviewing stan lee he he was the one who was that face of marvel and there was a i think it was in time magazine uh there was something in time that was talking about the movie and when they mentioned spider-man they said that he was created by stan lee and then like a month or two later steve ditko wrote in to time magazine to try and correct their oversight you know and it, it just became this whole thing where uh i think i don't remember if this was exactly related to the time magazine thing but at at one point uh stan lee was asked in an interview if if uh or I, actually I, maybe it wasn't an interview but somebody asked Stan Lee if if uh Ditko was the creator or co-creator of Spider-Man and Stan Lee said something like I have always considered him to be the co-creator because and like later on he would say that uh he said that because he thought that's what would make Ditko happy so you just get this sense that he didn't necessarily believe that but just to avoid bad feelings he said what he thought the other person wanted to hear but even then Ditko wasn't too happy because he said the word considered and you know he 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 pointed out that Stan Lee used the word considered he like why couldn't Stan Lee just say yeah he is the co-creator yeah but to say I've considered him the co-creator that like that's some legalese right there, man. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't get that. I don't get that at all. Yeah. It just, I mean, I don't know. All throughout the book, you just get this impression of Stan Lee as this guy who, like, we, we've talked about this earlier, but how he's this guy who seeks the approval of everyone you know but mm-hmm. it's it's almost like he does it to the point where he's willing to lie or you know i mean if these things are true then he he's willing to yeah lie in order to uh at least imply that all this credit goes to him 
because if he was if people were ever to believe otherwise then there's a chance that they would love him a little less you know which is ridiculous because yeah. that i mean whether he did it by himself or worked on it with created it with another person like that i don't yeah. see why that would make somebody love him less <laughs> i mean if anything if the truth came out and it turns out that you or anyone was stealing credit for something that would be the thing that would make you love make them love exactly. you less right exactly and, exactly and that's the thing is it's just after reading this it just really makes you feel like stan lee was just this incredibly insecure and flawed guy to the to the point to the level to the degree that he was again willing to discredit other people if it meant that he himself would have to take the hit on it you know mm -hmm. like on some level i kind of feel sorry for the guy yeah yeah you know? it's almost like he he can't it's almost like he couldn't understand his own flaw yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah like that that makes me think of another anecdote about him which is something from uh, mark evanier he said yeah. he had an interesting quote and mark evanier he was one of kirby's assistants back in the i believe it was in the 70s but possibly the 60s as well but he was one of kirby's assistants but and he also worked on and off a little bit with Stan Lee. So he knew both men, but he was particularly close to Jack Kirby and even wrote a, a Kirby uh, biography before or a book about Kirby's works. But Mark Evanier has said that the criticisms Stan Lee received from Kirby really bothered him, but they never bothered him enough to formally apologize for any wrongdoing. And and here's here's the quote from uh from mark evanier stan lee would say i never fully understand I, I never fully understood why jack or steve left and then evanier says steve's reasons were pretty obvious and so were jack's and i'd i'd explain them to stan he would nod and then three months later he'd say can you explain to me what jack is upset about yeah. So it it just gives you this impression of a guy who he really doesn't get it, you know? Like he Yeah. I guess whatever whatever people would try to explain to him as to why Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby were upset yeah at him, like it it just never fully clicked with him or he just maybe he was just incapable of seeing things from their point of view. Maybe he he didn't have that level of understanding or, or empathy to to yeah to feel what they were feeling yeah actually listening to you uh talk about that did remind me of one other thing um one of the one of the aspects of stan lee that they mentioned in the book uh they were they were they were discussing his essentially what were his political beliefs you know um 
and they talked about how a lot of people kind of presumed that he was kind of this liberal um, person, right? But time and time again, there were these instances of stories that he was telling and uh there were anecdotes from various writers i don't remember which ones exactly where they would talk about how they wanted i, I think one of them might have even been like denny o'neill but it was stories about how they wanted to tell story to tell stories in the comics that were more definitively about something and how stan would constantly just play towards this center ground this this center uh this centrist sort of storytelling where you know bad people were bad and good people were good and good people beat up bad people and that was essentially the only moral that you needed you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um in telling that story about stan it just reminds me of of how he behaves uh, or or how he has this pattern of behavior throughout this biography where when confronted with things, um, instead of taking a hard stance one way or another, a lot of the times he found it preferable to just take this stance that he was either ambiguous on the topic or agnostic or... um, unable to yeah take a definitive stance on something you know so So are you saying that these are the comics that people who don't want politics in their comics should read (laughs) (laughs) i'm not saying that i'm just saying that in terms of stanley's behavior like between this and um and maybe i'm drawing connections that aren't there uh but the way that the the biography establishes it 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 feels like stanley is this guy who's just again as this person who wants everyone to love him uh, and who wants the approval of everybody he's just constantly in this he's just this person who has grown accustomed to just taking the safest most centrist route in in every conversation you know and you see it time and time again so even even something where like him saying I consider Steve Ditko to be a co-creator of Spider-Man like there it, it feels like it's a stance that he can take because there's just enough leeway in there for mm-hmm. him to have plausible deniability you know Exactly and later on in his career like when when uh, Stan Lee media and Pow media begin to do all this defrauding and when he has to go to court, like, again, it's just this thing where he, his whole stance is, well, I'm, I didn't know what was going on. I was just the guy who was promoting the figurehead. I was the figurehead. And it's just this pattern of behavior that you see again and again with him again, presuming that this is all true. Right. Yeah. But uh, it just, paints this picture of Stan Lee as this guy who plays it so safe by taking the most uh the most secure the most uncontroversial middle track that he can 
in almost every argument or every uh, uh, decision that he makes. Like the book even says something to that effect at some point. Uh, I, I, mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly which section, but but yeah, it's 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 an interesting obs- observation to make of the man, you know? Yeah, yeah, it really is. There's a lot of fascinating material about Stanley, especially in his later years. That when you combine that information with the stories about how he treated his closest collaborators it's uh pretty painful man yeah like to know that the two ventures he was involved in after marvel were pretty much awash in not just controversy, but outright swindling people and and committing fraud and yeah, financial crimes. <laughs> financial crime, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's some serious stuff, I think. And yeah. it's it's hard. It's just really hard to believe that he absolutely knew nothing that was yeah. wrong. You know, like the way that the story is portrayed and is is that he was. He you was know, an old man. An old, yeah, yeah, like he was an old man. He didn't know what was going on. on. Yeah, yeah, it, it's. I don't know about that, man. Like me, maybe. Well, yeah. But it's it's hard, man. Yeah, but, I mean, so we talked about this a little bit, and uh, and even the book mentions it at this one point. But in his later years, he was just surrounded by, ironically enough people that were hucksters just like you know just like he was supposed he supposedly was but he was just taken advantage of yeah i mean stan lee was like pt barnum and these guys were actual con men yeah yeah so so when we get quotes from some people who were saying that he had substantially more involvement in uh the financial crimes that were going on uh, uh in in the money that these uh that these corporations he created the the money that they were taking from investors stuff like that and uh you know the money that they were pocketing um you got to take it with a grain of salt because again these were people who were in some form of or another equally as involved in the the financial crimes and the misdeeds that were going on you yeah. know yeah exactly. so their their credibility is thrown into doubt just because yeah. of the crimes that they committed yeah that they were convicted of committing yeah i i wish we could tell you guys in greater detail just what went on but to be honest it was such an intricate web of bullcrap that uh i i would really have to study it a lot closer in order to really be able to explain it to you guys like I, and i'm not really a financial guy uh i i don't really understand uh corporate jargon uh or legalese so it's it's not something that comes supernaturally to me um but yeah same suffice here it, yeah suffice it to say like they created these companies and these companies ended up 
taking a lot of money from investors. At least that's my understanding of the situation. And, uh, you know, uh, the people ended up pocketing it. And, you know, that's not something you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let, I want to talk about that period of, of his life a bit. But before we commit ourselves to that era, I do want to mention how at the end of his Marvel era uh, in 1998, that was when uh, Marvel was going bankrupt. They actually voided his his contract, so uh-huh. he was no longer uh, you know, tied down to, to Marvel, which was why afterwards he was able to start these new companies. But he still ended up negotiating a profitable contract with Marvel just to continue to get paid yeah basically for all the work he had done it was like a legacy fee or something exactly yeah a legacy fee yeah. and and from what we know he he would receive an annual salary of $810,000 just to be a figurehead so he yeah. didn't actually do work or anything he was just yeah. a figurehead but he would get $810,000 a year and I believe that there was some kind of clause where uh, he would, he could continue to get raises up to one million dollars. Yeah. Um, and then fifty percent. Jack Kirby definitely didn't get that. <laughs> yeah, he did not. Yeah. And then uh, fifty percent of his base salary would be an annual pension for his wife, and uh-huh. then he would also get ten percent of any profits Marvel would ever make off of movies and TV. So, you know, just shortly after that, those Spider-Man movies came out. And there was also Blade and the X-Men. Yeah. So, like, those early Marvel he movies. He got that sweet, sweet Blade money. <laughs> <laughs> this, the ripest cherry of them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that he did. That he did. But you know what the funny thing about that deal was? At the time that they gave it to him? That deal, from what I remember, was actually a scaled-back version of his original deal. And Stan's response to that was it was that he couldn't live off that. Yeah. He was like, I can't live off this. Only a million dollars a year? Come yeah. on. <laughs> I wish I had those problems. Same here, man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Speaking of uh, the '90s, one more, one more little anecdote I want to bring up was how it has to do with with how Stan Lee was always obsessed with show business and and Hollywood and being this, you know, just a well-known person and a name. Yeah. And and you, I think reading this book, you get the impression that he was not content just being a mere comic book writer or. Yeah content for being primarily known for comics uh-huh. he 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 not only i think loved show business but like if he had to be known for comics he wanted his comics to be treated as high art and i, I think that's something that comes up as his career in comics started to last longer than he thought it would because if, if he wasn't going to be writing his great American novel, at the very least, then he would want his actual comics to be well-regarded yeah, and treated as some kind of high art. 
of course, when he first began in this in in the 60s and even obviously his earlier work before then, like none of that was considered high art. It yeah. was just stuff for kids and exactly. maybe at best stuff that college students had fun reading. I thought you were going to say stuff for kids or slow adults. Or slow adults, <laughs> man. <laughs> really slow. <laughs> we're talking five minutes to tie one shoe. Oh, man. <laughs> man, that, that's, that's uh, pretty slow. Pretty slow, I'd say. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but you make me laugh, Albert. You make me laugh. Like to think I give something to everyone. Yeah, yeah. You tickle me. We, um, we are we are miles apart right now, recording this remotely. <laughs> but you have you have tickled me. I feel your fingertips at the bottom of my armpits right now. Uh, yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't like that's that. One of, that's one of my ticklish spots. So I I definitely do not like that. <laughs> <laughs> even even the thought of my phantom fingers tickling your your your. Uh, disembodied armpits not something that i am into <laughs> fair enough I also, but anyway i was oh, i was saying ahead. how he wanted to treat comics as high art right and yeah i think as time progressed more and more critics started coming out and they actually did begin treating comics seriously right the way yeah. that he dreamed that they would be one day so by the time you get to the 90s you you have publications like the comics journal which even now is still regarded as one of the bastions of serious comics criticism. But the, the irony was that most serious critics looked down on him and his work for being yeah. childish. And they also didn't respect how he treated his collaborators. Yeah. So if you, there's a, a famous issue of the comics journal from October, 1995, that was about Stan Lee. I've never read it i don't have a subscription so i can't access the archive online and i've never come across a copy of it in the wild it would be really cool to find a copy of this and read it though the comics journal from october 1995 but i know from reading about it that it had quite a few scathing essays about stan lee wow not even yeah. one just multiple essays multiple, just multiple. taking him down yeah like I, I've seen the cover, and it, it's a caricature of him that is really not flattering. Like it, it's yeah. you want to talk about being a huckster or a P.T. Barnum? Like this caricature just portrays him as that kind of buffoon. You know, it's it's like yeah. it's yeah, it it really downplays his contributions and really calls into question uh, just the idea of him being respected for, for comics. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't know if he ever had anything to say about that magazine or that issue, but uh, if he knew about it, I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't have been happy. Yeah. That, I mean, Knowing what I what I know of him now, I I imagine that that might have even hurt him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it it also kind of goes to show that a lot of, I guess, people who are, quote unquote, serious about comics, tended to side on the artist side. You know, like the 
people that I feel like that was probably when people started to realize that Stan Lee might not have done all the things or might not have might not have deserved all the credit that he's been claiming for all those years, you know? Uh-huh. Like you you got Jack Kirby in the 80s fighting against Marvel to to reclaim all of the artwork that he created, you know, all the stuff yeah. that he drew, he was trying to fight for it. He was trying to fight for recognition and and credit. And it was just uh you know, it was, it was tough on him. I think he did get a bunch of his art back, but he didn't it wasn't like he got all of his art back. And yeah. as far as the credit went, like that I feel like that kind of eluded him too. And yeah. yet, you know, you have Stan Lee just living out this comfortable life as a figurehead, going hobnobbing in Hollywood, uh for for what? A cameo in in the Hulk TV show? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it reminds me of another story that, that they tell in the book where Stan for the longest time was really trying, was, was almost ashamed of his, uh, of his work in comics, you know, uh, he would tell a story about how he would, he would have these dinner parties and he would have, you know, quote unquote, important people at Mm. these parties and they would, Mm -hmm. You know, they'd talk to him about things and they would ask him what he did. And he always dreaded that moment where, you know, he would have to explain what he did. So he'd always say something. He'd always tell him that he was a writer, but he would just, from the sounds of it, just try to say it under his breath and, you know, say it as he was walking away. And the way that they put it was. (laughs) You know, just so that he could cut the conversation short and move on to something else and move away from this person. And the way that uh, Stan put it was, and then this person would latch on and continue to pursue me and ask, oh, what have you written? And at that point, I would have to, I would have no other choice but to tell him, I write comic books. And then it'd be at that point that they'd walk away from me. You know, <laughs> and it's it's a pretty it's a pretty sad look at how he viewed comics, something that he's like known for. It's yeah. Yeah, it's it's ugh, it's uh, it hurts, man. But yeah, uh, that's rough. I, I did want to mention one other thing, uh, you know, speaking of um uh, you know, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. One of the things that they mentioned in the book was later on, in the later years, Jack Kirby did spend a lot of his time fighting Marvel just to get, uh, you know, his old artwork back and, you know, just, you know, just trying to get what was his, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And at one point when Jack Kirby died, uh, I forget who he was talking to in the uh, in 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 the story, but I, I know he was talking. It might have even been Mark Evanier, but uh, it, it was definitely an old friend of Kirby's. And 
what this guy told Stan was, look, you know, if you are truly, like, sorry for their loss, if you really want to, like, you know, be contrite about, like, the way that things ended between the two of you, um, go talk to Marvel and have them give a pension to uh, Jack Kirby's widow, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And the thing is, no one ever knew, like, what happened after that. But shortly thereafter, Jack Kirby's widow did receive a pension, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and so this is the one time where maybe he could have, if if he was truly a slime ball, he could have made a big scene about it and tried to get credit for it. But it's something that he did, like presumably, it's something that he did do because you know he there was some part of him that I assume still cared for Jack Kirby, you know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that would have been a pretty messed up thing if he had... He just took it as another opportunity to glorify (laughs) himself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That would have been super slimy, but I think, yeah, yeah, he had the sense not to do that. Yeah. Like, uh, again, I don't know for certain that he did it, But, you know, assuming that all these details are true and assuming that uh, everything lines up, it, it, it's, it's a safe assumption that Stanley had something to do with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You want to go and discuss his uh, or, or Stan's later years? Yeah, yeah. I found that stuff pretty fascinating just yeah. the information contained because that was a big period of when we were alive but you know like you, you were saying earlier stan lee was not really at the forefront of our minds and when we did see anything from him it tended to be stuff that we dismissed because it was just stupid yeah bad. i don't yeah. know <laughs> Were you pausing there? Yeah, I was. I was okay. trying to think if, if I could come up with a, a more diplomatic adjective, but eventually... I thought there was a, I thought there was a break in our connection, so I thought you were saying more stuff, and then I jumped back in just as you were saying stupid and bad. <laughs> so there was a part of me that was like, I wonder what else he said. <laughs> no, my, my vocabulary is just not advanced enough to come up with any better adjectives. I was trying to think of something. But I have, I just ended up going back to the lowest common denominator Stop. there. <laughs> uh, right, right. Yeah. yeah. The the couple of decades prior to his death are I found particularly intriguing. So after after he left Marvel in '98, he ended up forming Stanley Media. So that that was the name of this dot com era company he started with. One of the con men that we were referring to earlier, a guy named Peter Paul, and he he's a fascinating figure in the biography. Uh, there's 
all sorts of crazy wild stories about him that are not verified. So chances are it's just him talking out of turn and just making stuff up to make him sound more interesting or more important than he actually is. But regardless, this guy was quite a character and he was also just somebody who used Stan Lee for his own ends. Somehow he was able to win Stan Lee's trust to create this company and basically said, you know, he just sold him on the idea of, of Stan Lee, the name Stan Lee being this brand that that on the strength of his name, he could just create whatever he wanted with full creative freedom and the stuff that he'd create would just rake in the money. Yeah. But Peter Paul, in reality, he just ended up committing serious financial fraud. Yeah. When things in the company were definitively going downhill, he tried to, he actually escaped to Brazil, but he was eventually extradited and convicted by the, I, I believe it was by the Securities Exchange Commission. Yeah. And at, at this point, uh, with all the legal proceedings, Lee him, Stan Lee himself was cleared of any wrongdoing, but it was still humiliating. It was. Like, I I remember hearing about this in the news at the time, and I, I was just in either late high school or early college, so I, I didn't really care too much or think too much about it. Like, I was just thought, oh, Stan Lee, what, what happened to him? Like, yeah. You know, it's it was kind, kind of, of uh, boring adult stuff. Yeah, boring adult stuff, exactly. <laughs> it's like, unless the next words after Stanley are Spider Man punching the juggernaut, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't really, I'm not too interested. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but uh, as an adult looking back on these events, yeah, that is definitely something pretty humiliating to create this company. Yeah. Have it flame out and then not only just flame out, but be involved in these financial crimes. Yeah. It's it's to have really the government bad. come after you, you know? Yeah. Like, most companies that fail kind of just get to blend into you know, get to fade into anonymity, right? Uh you know, yeah, people lose their money and you have to live with the failure. But in this case, it's almost like the failure is in public display for all the world to see. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And it's not just a company dying and failing, but it's, it's an autopsy. <laughs> it's an autopsy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like exactly. they're just like splaying the carcass of your organization open and just, you know, showing all of the intestines and innards for, for everyone to just, be disgusted and to laugh at yeah yeah and this was one of the things where other high people high level people involved in the company seemed to believe that stan lee knew more about what was going on than he let on but it was just convenient for him to play the, that role you know that role of yeah. the overwhelmed grandpa the old man who, who doesn't yeah. understand everything that's going on or the guy who's just claiming to be the figurehead but I can't According wait to, till I'm senile. I'm yeah. going to murder so many people. <laughs> <laughs> it is just going to be so many people dead. And I'm just going to be like, I'm old. 
I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, but then some detective out there is going to do a bunch of deep diving into your history. He'll find this episode of the podcast and he'll be like, wait a minute. He planned that all along. But yeah, creatively speaking, even on a, on a level of just what he was doing that was not part of the criminal activity, just on a creative level, all the things he he tried to create at Stan Lee Media were forgettable. Yeah. Can you name one single thing he created while at SLM? Well, I can name one thing because um, the book made it seem like this thing, this one property was something that had more life than... Okay, okay. Uh, it was called The Accuser. And I don't know why, out of all the things that he created for Stanley Media, why this one thing was uh, the thing that uh, continued to draw attention after everything else was, you know, put put by the wayside. But mm-hmm. for whatever reason, that one property, you know, it had a few more feet in it of life. Um, like they mentioned it in uh, in some talks where, you know, when 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 Stanley Media closed down and I think the company that came after it, Pow Entertainment, ended up mm-hmm. taking some of the uh intellectual property from stanley media and like they were trying to option it for you know tvs or movies or whatever that was the one thing that they thought they could you know turn into something yeah um and i actually even remember this because the the way that i would describe it is it's kind of a futuristic Punisher sort of concept. Was it's he a, a garbage man? No, he was. He was like Solo or something, you know. He was he was a guy that would murder people in the name of vengeance, but he would use like high tech futuristic technology. So he was an accuser. He would accuse you, and then <laughs> kill you. <laughs> like Judge Dredd? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, Stan. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine Stan Lee creating Judge Dredd. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, this Peter Paul guy was, he was an interesting dirtbag. Because... <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Uh, one of the things about him was he eventually convinces Stan that they can draw up some sort of contract where Stan Lee would be able to retro- retroactively claim all of his creations. Or Stan Lee Media would be able to, under the umbrella of Stan Lee Media, within this contract, would be able to claim rights to all of the creations that belong to marvel that that was more or less what the promise was and i'm not a lawyer but that sounds pretty delusional it i'm not a lawyer but that sounds stupid (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and he was so delusional that even after he was extradited from Brazil and uh, he was in jail, like he might even be out of jail now. But from what I remember, he he still even believed all the years after Stanley Media got closed down that he uh, he could use that contract to still get the rights to those characters. Because cause from what I remember, he wanted... So although he still owns the rights to Stanley Media or the contract at least, he's out there in the world right now trying to rebuild some new version of Stanley Media. Uh, I think in the book, the last thing that they mentioned was he was even in China working with, I think the company is Tencent Media. Oh, yeah. Massive. Yeah. So he was trying to go to China to get funding for Stanley Media 2.0 so that he could <laughs> use the contract to steal out from under Disney uh, all of the Marvel IP. <laughs> <laughs> and this yeah, guy, this good guy luck was, with that. This guy was a real character. Like, and, and there were some other stories in here about how, like, he he tried to work with the Clintons to do something, and uh, to this day, because he got arrested before that project could could go through, and the Clintons pulled out of it. So to this day, he holds a grudge against the Clintons. <laughs> yeah, actually, if you look up his uh, Wikipedia entry, there's a pretty uh, big write-up about his involvement with Hillary Clinton's senatorial campaign. Yeah, I think he threw some sort of campaign fundraiser for her and he broke some like campaign finance laws i think he said or they said yeah yeah so yeah. for anyone interested if you want to look up his wikipedia entry look up peter f paul yeah i guess his middle name is franklin so peter franklin paul that's not what i was gonna say it was for <laughs> 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 it was just peter F Paul. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got it right on the money. This guy was just pure trash, dude. Yeah. Yeah. But Peter Paul was by no means the only uh character in Stanley's life. Like towards the end, he was just beset by vultures. Um Yeah. There was his I think his title was like manager, uh, but his name was Kia Morgan. Yep. And this is a dude who was, I, I don't know. I want to say that what he did was he was probably the elder abuse portion of, of all of the stuff that was going on, you know? Yeah. Cause he was a guy that towards the end of Stan's life took, took Stan and I, I know he was I, I want to say that he was the guy that was uh that was be, that was using Stan to go to shows and just collecting money off it I mean he had a bunch of other things going on too but the the one big thing that I remember him for was there was this huge scandal towards the end of Stan's life where 
Stan Lee was at a comic book convention and he was signing autographs for money. Mm. And they recorded this video of Stan and it was just this really sad footage because you could tell that it was just an old man who who really did not have his wits about him at all. You know, uh, he was sitting there in this chair and uh, people were walking up and giving him uh, pictures to sign. And the people around him had to uh, had to tell him how to spell his own name. You know, that's mm-hmm. how like adult Stanley was at this point in his life. Yeah. And uh and Kia Morgan played a pretty big role in that from what I remember. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, amongst and, other and, things. And like the other thing that that uh probably should be mentioned is because earlier we were talking about how Stanley had this contract with Marvel just to be a figurehead making all this money. Yeah. But uh, after the fallout with Stanley Media, he was pretty embroiled in legal issues himself, and that probably sucked up a good amount of his money. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. and then on top of that, uh, he ended up suing Marvel for failing to honor the part of the contract that entitled him to a percentage of TV and film profits. So he he had to deal with the legal issues from SLM, and then he yeah. had to he had a lawsuit against Marvel, which yeah. is another thing uh, that was kind of bizarre. Because I remember, I think, I forget if I read this in in the biography, but somebody observed that Stan Lee suing Marvel Comics is like Colonel Sanders suing KFC. Yeah. <laughs> just just a bizarre... Yeah. Uh, a bizarre... Uh, no, it was happened. in the book. It yeah. was in the book. And the okay. thing about it was, it was such a bizarre thing, but when you put it in the context of the people that he was surrounded by, it's easy to look at that and see that it was just people who were using him to to just get a... People were using him and his name to basically just try to get a cash grab out of Marvel. You know, mm-hmm. the idea being that, hey, let's just sue him. And if we get something, anything out of it, you know, that's a win. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like they were they were just bleeding Stan Lee dry at this point. And um and one of the one of the anecdotes that I remember from the book was after his wife Jane died, uh Stan was pretty messed up, you know? Like he Joan, I think his his wife. Joan, was, Joan, sorry. Yeah. So he he was just not a happy person after that. He he was just someone who didn't have much to live for. Like he he like cared that much for his wife, you know. Mm-hmm. And um and and in part when when she passed, it it sort of opened the floodgates for all these people to enter his life. Like I, I think the implication was that on some level she was managing who had access to Stan. Mm-hmm. Um, geez, I, I forgot where I was going. I had a train of thought that I was following, but, uh, but yeah, uh, 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so one of the things that people were asking was, how could Stan allow himself to be taken advantage of on this level? Uh, they were making him do shows, uh, do these conventions, making him travel, even though that he didn't, even though he didn't want to travel. There were stories about him, uh, you know, being taken to hotels and, you know, him saying that he didn't want to be at hotels, he didn't want to be on the road, he didn't want to do conventions, he just wanted to be at home and just to kind of, you know, grieve in peace, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that uh, the book mentions is that one of the ways that people were able to get to him to to make Stanley like do uh things for them was these people these these you know parasites would base would essentially tell him because that their lives and their livelihoods were just so inextricably tied to Stanley and to his organization they would guilt him by saying that well if you don't do this for me then you know, how am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to pay my bills? How am I supposed to feed my family? Things like yeah. that. You know? yeah, his his daughter was a massive spender and yeah. there were reports of her just, you know, berating her father for yeah. not... She was an asshole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his was, daughter was an I asshole. I was like trying to be diplomatic, man. I, I need to just <laughs> let you do the talk. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it was bad enough that these other uh, people like, uh, yeah, Kia Morgan and another was one was, uh, was a, the other guy was a security guard or something, right? Yeah, I forget the security guard's name, but uh, the the one accountant from Stanley Media who ends up stealing or like selling off all the assets for Stanley Media and it was supposed to go to paying off the the people that had lost money to stanley media but instead she put it into pow junko kobayashi i think was her name mm, yeah yeah i like, think she was interviewed in the book too yeah so these are just like terrible awful people but in addition to these people like his daughter certainly wasn't a help either like the one person that you would presume like cared about him and would try to take care of him the one you know yeah the one person who has any stake in him and and um it all was just about money yeah yeah like it's it's really sad really sad yeah yeah i was also gonna to to finish the little story from earlier about the about stan lee suing marvel from what i remember he ended up settling with them and then uh, I guess that whole part of the contract about getting 10% of the profits from movie appearances for, for Marvel movies and, and shows and stuff that ended up uh, getting cut out of the contract and he settled for just like a, a flat payment, uh-huh. which, and this was like right before the MCU took off too. So it ended up uh, not being optimal for him in terms of just the money that yeah. he made. I think those Marvel movies made a lot of money. Yeah. I think at the time they were saying that it was, you know, a few million or something like that. Right. And it sounded like a lot. But when you compare it to like the billions of dollars that came in. Yeah. 
for for like the entirety of the MCU. Yeah. But I guess the one saving grace is when you take into consideration just the awful people that are around him. Yeah, at least they didn't get that money. Yeah, you come to realize that they would have just robbed him blind. Yeah. In addition to, you know, forcing him to work when he didn't want to work, in addition to, uh, you know, using uh, his company and stealing assets from his company, um, they stole from him directly, too. Like, there was... I think there were reports that he had a lot of paraphernalia over the years, over his lifetime that he collected uh, just historical artifacts at this point, right. That are related Mm -hmm. to comics and a bunch of that stuff just went missing, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just a truly like sad state to be in. uh, Yeah. For, for someone, you know, that, that you know you you someone that brought so much joy in comics that that brought so much gave so much joy to the world you know yeah there's there's a quote from the biography about what pow entertainment ended up doing uh-huh. and yeah so it's just a brief summary of of the company but uh what they did was they they did stuff that involved and i quote ripping off investors lying to shareholders entering the stock market through an illegitimate merger and committing bankruptcy fraud among other misconduct so that's how reesman described what pow entertainment accomplished yeah yeah it's uh it was not good. Yeah, it was not good <laughs> to say the least exactly. Yeah. But yeah, what you were saying about how his final years were and how he was surrounded by these bad characters, it it's it's pretty rough, man. It's it's uh a very sad end to his story yeah yeah it's it's a it's an interesting book you know like it's it's there's so many details there so many bits and portions uh of this just really messed up story and you know we we mentioned this at the top of the show like i i don't know if all of it is true, I don't know how much of it is true, but there's certainly enough there where I can safely assume that there's some truth to what there's some truth to, to what it has to say and some truth to the, to the idea that Stanley wasn't above board when it came to, how he behaved and how he treated people, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to write it off as by, by saying that, oh, he was a complicated man. And I, I mean, he was like, he, he, he has complex complexities, 
certainly we all do, but um you know, it's it's just something to keep in mind when you remember the man, you know, and I don't know if I'll ever be truly in a position to like denounce the man or anything, but I I don't know if I could ever like celebrate him the way that I wanted to would that I would have wanted to, you know? Yeah. We certainly don't view him the way that we viewed him when we were children. Yeah. We just know too much now. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess just to wrap up my final thoughts on the biography, I think the title is very appropriate. I mean, obviously true believer was one of Stan Lee's favorite catchphrases, but I feel like it fits the theme of his story extremely well too, because one of the biggest questions raised in the biography is whether Stanley actually created or co-created the Marvel characters that the world loves so much. Was he as responsible for those characters as he claimed? And it's a murky subject and one that we will probably never have a definitive answer to. And, uh, you know, the disputes with Kirby and Ditko aside, after they left Marvel, we, as we said, Stan Lee's creativity took a nosedive. And there wasn't really a whole lot that he created without them. Kirby and Ditko, on their own, both went on to create many notable comics and lasting characters apart from their association with Stan Lee. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the book is titled True Believer, but ultimately it's hard to know what we can truly believe about Stan Lee's claims. Mm. Yeah. Do you want to go into what we're going to discuss next week? Actually, before we talk about what we discuss next week, there were a couple of... Well, there's one other book that I would want to recommend to people who found true believer interesting i mean obviously there are some other stanley biographies out there Mm -hmm. uh i haven't read them but i know tom spurgeon the well-known comics reporter who who passed away a couple years ago but uh he he actually wrote a stanley biography or he co-wrote a stanley biography with another writer whose name escapes me at the moment but that biography uh I i believe it came out while stanley was still alive so it's it's not like his entire lifetime. That that would be something I would be interested in reading. Mm-hmm. But the one book uh, that I have read that I would definitely recommend reading is a book called Marvel Comics: The Untold Story by Sean Howe. And this is another nonfiction prose book. I believe it came out about ten years ago now. So it yeah, it's been a while. Feels feels like it should have been more recent than that but geez time has passed um (laughs) and yeah marvel comics the untold story is exactly what the title is it you cover the history of marvel comics and you get a lot of behind the scenes information about all the people involved at marvel from from those days like from the inception of marvel 
and goes pretty far into the into recent times as well. I think it's a book that serves as a great introduction to any behind the scenes kind of stuff in comics that people would find interesting. I also think that it's a book that complements this Stan Lee biography really well because then it it gives you some of the stories that you'll get about Stan Lee in this biography in Reisman's book, but uh, the untold story also has information about a lot of other key players. So you'll you'll get a lot of information about Kirby and Ditko and uh, Roy Thomas and you know, a lot of the figures that that help shape Marvel Comics into what it is now. Mm. I think that, yeah, that's definitely worth reading. And the other thing I would tell people to check out is the Key and Peele sketch where they, <laughs> they do a, they do Stan Lee. There's there's like a funny sketch where they they have Stan Lee doing a superhero pitch. And yeah, just go to YouTube and look it up. Key and Peele, <laughs> Stan Lee's superhero pitch. It's funny. <laughs> Nice, nice. Good choice. Do you have any recommendations? Oh, man. Um, I don't, if only because the one recommendation that I would have had is actually going to be the topic of next week's episode. Okay. So, I guess that's as good a segue as any. Um, so, you know, because we covered you know, the life and times of Stan Lee in this week's episode, we thought it would only be fair to cover another great comics creator, um, you know, for next week, uh, another character in the great drama that unfolded today in in our discussion. Uh, We wanted to cover Jack Kirby uh, by Tom Scioli. I I forget. Let me pull the book up. The, right the full title is Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics. Yeah. Yeah. I, this one's interesting, too, because it, it's it's a comic book biography. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I mean, if Scioli, it's done in the comics format, it, it's not prose. Yeah, 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 exactly. But it's done by uh, Tom Scioli, someone who... Who has a great love of comics he he's done a couple of things he did gi joe transformers he also did uh godland with joe casey godland with joe casey uh you know and godland by joe with joe casey is just a love letter to kirby's artwork you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so he's someone who who knows his stuff when it comes to comics and uh yeah, if you, you know, watch cartoonist Kayfabe on, on YouTube, he shows up with Ed Piscor and Jim Rugg on some episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's obviously a guy who's, I guess for the better lack of a term, a, a Jack Kirby truther. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we thought it was only fair that we give that side of the dynamic uh, in, ne- in next week's episode. Mhm. Mhm. Yep. So, if you guys have any questions or comments regarding uh, you know, the the discussion that we had today, feel free to hit us up uh, at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or, you know, follow us uh, on our Instagram at between the gutters. 
you can DM us there. You can send us a tweet at between the gutters. Uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, help us by, you know, rating us on whatever platform that you're listening to us on so that we can share our, our knowledge to a, a wider array of people and, uh, and the world. All right. Today's episode was about True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee by Abraham Riesman. Great book. Highly recommend it. Check it out. Don't believe the naysayers. It's worth your time. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Between the Gutters, signing off. Peace. Bye, guys. <laughs>